All right, so episode 108, take two. Uh, this is David Fernandez, writer over at DetroitBadBoys.com and podcaster on this here show, Inside the Cylinder, joined as always by Matt Way. Matt, where can the people follow you at? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at WayMattH. Um, and you can also follow my work over at Detroit Bad Boys. Um, how you doing tonight, David? I'm doing good. You know, I'm feeling rested. I'm feeling at peace right now. I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling pretty, pretty good. And also, you know, I we're recording this... Uh, on the 30th at night, just in time so we can catch the Michigan game, game later. So that'll be wrapped by the time that you hear this. But I'm definitely excited to continue watching this March Madness. It's been a fun tournament so far. Yeah, it has. It's uh, it's been it's been nice. Uh, lots of exciting games. The women's tournament has been, frankly, even more exciting. Michigan, the Michigan women played great against Baylor. Um, in the Sweet 16, it was, and then Baylor played a great game last night against UConn. What were your thoughts on that that end of the game play? It, it, I mean, it was clearly a bad call. You hate to see games decided or close to decided on those kind of calls. Um, so I, I definitely feel for the Baylor team. I I feel less for the Baylor coach who I thought was kind of being ridiculous after the game but that's uh that's probably for another podcast yeah yeah I, it was uh it was it was hard to watch it was hard to see that type of uh foul go down with no whistle but you know that's sometimes that's what happens unfortunately um but i guess back to pistons land so this is our first episode since uh the trade deadline so we are here to talk about the Pistons moves, uh, and then kind of go forward from there and talk a little bit more about uh, just this past week in Pistons basketball. So the Pistons did make one move at the deadline, uh, and that was uh, broken early. So like the first trade of trade deadline season. Um, wasn't super exciting. DeLon Wright to Sacramento for Corey Joseph and two future second-round picks. Uh, Matt, you had some time now to digest everything that's gone on. We've seen a little bit of Corey Joseph in a Detroit uniform. Uh, Happy with the trade? Mad about the trade? Just content? I I guess, uh, what are your thoughts on everything? Yeah, I I guess I'm pretty happy with the trade. I think it's it's just a solid piece of business from Troy Weaver. Um, I, I've been wanting to see him get better value for guys. Um, I think this, you know, from a business standpoint makes a lot of sense because Corey Joseph is only guaranteed two or $3 million next year. Um, so you can just straight cut him pretty easily. Um, you get a couple second round picks, you know, which are, are, Shots in the dark, but, you know, it's just kind of an extra extra bullet in the chamber, so to speak, for Troy Weaver. Um, and we know what he likes to do with, with those. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it makes a ton of sense for the, for the Pistons. Um, it probably, frankly, helps the tank, too, because DeLon was uh, 
playing a little too well um, before he, he got hurt. Yeah, that's true. I think that's important, too. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the tanking uh, takes, I guess you can say. But, uh, yeah, I was I was meh about the trade, I guess I could say. Uh, there was... I, I didn't expect there to be any fireworks. I didn't want there to be any fireworks. I think I was pretty cool with where Detroit was at. Um, Corey Joseph... Yeah, he, he'll play a bit this season, but um, definitely not going to be a part of the future. I think he's, you're right, that they probably will be letting him go because there's going to be more guaranteed dollars if it's past a certain date. So I don't see him being part of Detroit's uh, future following this season. The two second round picks, it's it's kind of whatever to me, honestly. It's something where I've seen them used in positive ways. Uh Maybe a little judiciously when Detroit traded four to get rid of Luke Kennard, but that did bring in Sadiq Bey, who is going to be a part of this team hopefully for a long, long time. Um, but I've also seen them kind of used in weird ways, and this was be- before Troy Weaver, mind you, but I guess it just kind of leads to my overall thinking about second round picks in general. Like, yeah, you've seen him hit with Saban Lee, you've seen him miss with Jordan Bone, you've seen these weird swaps to get out of the first round, which was that Kevin Porter uh, Jr. Uh, uh, draft selection, uh, and then move a couple other ones to get Davidas Savitas. So I, I don't know. I, I don't. I can't say like, oh, yeah, you know, stocking up picks, and, and I feel very confident that those are going to be used in the right way. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you're right. It is another bullet in the chamber, and uh, it could be an impactful player, or it could just be uh, additional pieces that might bring in a player that I am really excited about in the future. I guess it's just like a big old TBD for me right now, uh, just because I was, over the course of the season, becoming more and more fond of DeLon Wright, the player, and kind of how he fit with this team. But all in all, it's pretty much the the type of move that that I had expected them to make um you know it, it wasn't anything special but it wasn't anything um it's not outwardly like detrimental I, mean, I don't hate it by any means obviously yeah and to be fair to Troy Weaver um you know only one of those is really on him the the um Luke Kennard trade um the rest are were kind of Ed Stefanski or or even pre-Ed Stefanski trades or moves um but yeah, I you know if if Troy Weaver is the type of scout that we think he is after what we've seen from the Pistons rookies this year, um, I wouldn't mind having a couple extra shots in the second round because you you certainly can find some some really good players every year, um, and if if you have the best scouting you know department or best best scouting decisions in the in the second round of a draft, um, there's definitely value to be had. So. It'll be it'll definitely be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, and I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, I did you have and we had talked about this a little bit before recording. I guess you could say uh, that uh, I had thought initially when the trade went down was that this team might have made the decision that their third point guard is going to be Dennis Smith Jr., um, not Delon Wright. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. is uh, his. They're not going to pick up his qualifying offer. I think that date might have already passed at this point. But um, at the same time, he is uh, 
Uh, he's played relatively well with Detroit. I think we've seen uh, some positives, some negatives. I know that you've mentioned you've really enjoyed the fight that you're getting out of uh, Dennis Smith Jr. on uh, a pretty consistent basis. Uh, former lotto pick. Uh, any any reason to think that this might be something where they're going to say, okay, we're going to bring back Dennis Smith Jr. after this season? Or are you still... I don't know, 50-50? Do you think that's not going to happen? Do you think and, and th- that this had any bearing on any of those future decisions? Um, I, I don't think particularly aimed at Dennis Smith Jr. Um, the, I, I don't think these moves were particularly aimed at Dennis Smith Jr. It could certainly be that they want to get a more long-term point guard option. Um, to go with Killian and, and Saban Lee. Um, but I don't think that it's just necessarily because they really like Dennis Smith Jr. I, I think those third point guard types are cheap. They're easy to find. And if, if Dennis Smith Jr. is the best of those options this offseason, then I think they'll certainly try to resign him. Um, but, it, you know, it could just be that they maybe have their their eyes on someone else in the in the offseason. I, I, I haven't looked at the the point guard free agents. Um, but, but you always seem to be able to pick those guys up pretty, pretty cheap, either in free agency or, or via trade. So, um, but yeah, I, I think there may, there could be something to just wanting to move on from Delon Wright because he's, you know, he's a good point guard combo guard, but he's, he's also not going to be part of the, the long-term future. Who do you think's the starter when Killian Hayes gets back? Who do you think they're going to choose? Not who do you who do you want, but who do you think they're going to put in the starting lineup? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I I think Saban Lee is the starter to begin with because I would expect they'll they'll bring Killian along slowly, um, and with Corey Joseph being you know more of a true point guard than Delon Wright, a guy who can really set up an offense. I think. That might be what they want from their bench their bench point guard. It's something they, they certainly need. We've seen Josh Jackson struggles, which um, you know, we can talk about in a different context in a little bit. But um, they, they definitely need a, a pure point guard, but also a guy who's, who's willing to shoot a little. And I think Killian and Corey Joseph are better suited for that role. Um, you, you've got guys who who will shoot and, and can shoot in the in the starting lineup. So that's less a concern there when you put Saban Lee in that spot. So I wouldn't mind Killian coming off the bench for the rest of the season. Um, yeah, I'd like to see him in both both lineups, frankly. I think this is a, a time to really test out your different combinations and see what you might do next year and moving forward. Yeah, I'm – very, I think that's going to be one of the most interesting narratives about this team moving forward is is how much Killian plays, when he gets back in the lineup, obviously what he looks like because hopefully it's only uh, you know going to get better from where it is that that where we left off from seeing Killian Hayes. Uh, so certainly something that I'm going to be watching out for. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess they have options. You know, the, the Corey Joseph can play. He's, as I said to you earlier, he's like a warmer blanket than DeLon Wright because he knows Dwayne Casey from back in his days uh, in Toronto. Um, We've seen Saban Lee play quite a bit uh, and play well. We've seen Dennis Smith Jr. have some good games, some 
okay games, but he's been playing when he's available uh, pretty consistently. So they'll have options, and yeah, you'll, you'll probably will see some sort of, I don't know, the whole lineups this whole entire season has been guys moving in and out of the starting lineups, guys uh, who have been on this team playing in different roles. There hasn't been too much true consistency outside of Jeremy Grant, uh, Mason Plumley, and now Sadiq Bey has sort of cemented himself in there. So yeah, I, I guess with the one and two, that's where we're really going to be seeing these sort of options. Uh, another guy that wasn't moved in this trade was Wayne Ellington. Were you happy about that or, or, ups, or upset about that? Did you want to see him moved or do you think he provides some value for this team, even though it's sort of a lost season? I, I think he can provide value just by virtue of his shooting um, to open things up. I wouldn't mind seeing him with the bench unit a little more to give them a little more shooting, especially with Sfigon. Um but, yeah, I, I guess. I was a little surprised he didn't get moved, but clearly there there just wasn't a market for him. I don't think that the Pistons just held on to him because they, they love him so much. I mean, he's not not a long-term piece, even though he's been really good this year. Yeah, and uh, they, they also said that they're not going to buy him out. So he's going to stick with this team for the remainder of the year. You said something in a previous episode that I think sort of made— when I noticed Wayne Ellington was not moved— this was kind of one of the first things I thought about. You said something along the lines of, you don't want your guys playing meaningless minutes. Like, you just don't want them to go out there and get slaughtered every single night. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they're probably going to lose the vast majority of their games moving forward. But you still want them to be semi-competitive in the second half. And Wayne Ellington provides some shooting, which makes this team more competitive. Just because right now this team is gotta be I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me but I'm gonna assume for like the remainder of this season from now until the end of the year they might be the worst three-point shooting team in the league so having someone that can space the floor someone that can give Killian Hayes some driving lanes or some options out on the corners you know after like some pick and roll action I think is gonna be really valuable so I I wasn't totally mad at it just because I don't want to see this team just consistently struggle with spacing on every given night. Obviously, Sadiq Bey is a great shooter too. I, I should have mentioned him. But just in general, they're still very, very light in that department compared to your average NBA team. So I wasn't mad at it just thinking about these guys' development throughout the rest of this season. Yeah, and you saw the value in that Washington game where they – I mean, that first half was as bad a half as Detroit's played all season, I would say. And – you know, Wayne comes in, makes three or four three-pointers um, in a short period of time, and the team gets energized, and they go on this crazy stretch, and everybody was playing well. And, you know, there's he, – he, Wayne can provide that value that, that really few guys can. Sadiq can do that too. Um, but just giving a spark to to your, your team when they need it to at least give them something to play for, even if it's just for a quarter or two. Um yeah, I, I think we definitely saw that value in in that Washington game. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm totally with you there. Anything else on uh, on Wayne Ellington or the Corey Joseph acquisition? No, I'm all set there. Um, I think we can move on. Okay. Well, the the other trade that was made around the deadline, but but a week or so prior to it, was uh, the Sfimak Hailuk and Hamadou Diallo trade 
we've finally gotten to see uh, uh, two or three games of Hamadou Diallo. Um, David, what are your thoughts on his fit with Detroit and what you've what you've seen so far from him? Well, first and foremost, I was I said it before when we first got him that I was the biggest Diallo fan uh, when he was following his senior year of high school. I think he might have had a prep year in there. I'm not necessarily sure, but I was hopeful that Detroit was going to land him if he decided not to go back to Kentucky. So younger David is very happy here. Um, current David is also very happy because uh, he's looked good. He's looked great on the defensive end of the floor. He's been good in you know not just on-ball defense. He's been really good in help and weak side defense as well. Um, I think you saw him come around for a pretty nasty block on James Harden uh, a couple games ago against the Nets. Um, he, he's just really impressed me with his ability to get to the cup. Um, just his overall presence on the floor, I just feel like it's felt. Also, it should be noted that he fits perfectly with the timeline. Um, and he also has that particular type of like... I'm going to get after you doggedness that I really appreciate in my players and the guys that, you know, I'm going to be watching for the remainder of this season and moving forward. So I think all in all, he checks a lot of boxes that I am really excited about. Um, And uh, yeah, he just really does seem to fit in really well with this team, Uh, even more so than uh, in these few games that he's played so far than Svi was able to throughout like the whole season. So I'm really happy about the trade, and I think that he's going to be a piece for this team moving forward, and they're going to re-sign him in the offseason. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. He's a restricted free agent. I, it's hard to see them letting him go. He was great in, in Oklahoma City. He was great last night against Toronto, um, scored 19 points on 10 shots, made a three-pointer. Um, grabbed 10 rebounds, three assists, and played really good defense. Um, you know, I, I, I really like what you said about just how kind of seamlessly he, <clears throat> he fits with this team. And really, he's one of those guys who just fits in with any team because he doesn't need to get plays called for him. He doesn't need the ball all the time. But when he does get the ball with, a, with an advantage or with the ability to create an advantage, he does so. He looks really good doing it. He's super smooth, super patient, great finisher, great touch around the rim. Um, there's just not much to not like, his, except maybe a shooting. Um, but his he, he did make a three last night. His form looked pretty good, I thought. Um, just a little, little bit slow, but, um, but he, he's not been a good free throw shooter, not been a good three-point shooter. So that's, that's definitely a... Just a bonus, I think, if he can if he can develop his shooting. But he's still young, you know. Um, it, he's he'd be far from the first guy to to really struggle shooting the ball from deep. Who uh, who improved in that regard? Career three point shooting twenty seven percent. Career from the free throw stripe is sixty three percent. So yeah, he has some inroads to make there for sure. His numbers are actually up this season. I think he's up to like 30, 31% from three this year. I would have to look up the attempts. I'm sure it's not that high, but um, he's trending in the right direction. And certainly that's going to be something that's going to be a major focus of his in the off season, probably for the rest of his career. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm i excited to see him with this team. Um, I was able to catch his post-game following the Raptors, the interview, and he just said all the right things, and it didn't seem like he was saying it just to say it. It seems like 
he really does sort of personify that, uh, I don't know, the type of personality that, that you you want out of guys. Just like the competition level. I, I feel like there's a lot of guys on this team that just really like to compete. Right now, they don't have the talent to compete in the league on a night-to-night basis. But I think it's in their sort of mentality. It's in their mantra. And it really seems to come out of these guys um you know, in, in given spurts, and I just think that that's something that's being built and cultivated by Weaver and Casey right now. So I, I really am hopeful that that's going to, you know, once this team is able to elevate that talent level a bit, um, you know, going to be a part of their identity moving forward. Just because he fits that mold, Saban Lee fits that mold, Grant fits that mold, Bay fits that mold, Stewart fits that mold. So there's just a lot of guys that that seem to fit the, the particular type of mold that, that you want to see out of a young team, even though that they're struggling right now. Yeah, for sure. And Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey have talked about that. And, you know, the, the two teams that come to mind or two franchises that come to mind who do those, those things have that, like, really strong culture that we always hear about are the Heat and the Spurs. And, like, if you can build that sort of culture – and you can do it in a time where you're getting first, you know, early lottery picks, um, and you can add the talent to that culture. Like you have, you have a recipe for success. I think. Even the place Weaver was just at, Oklahoma City, no one expected yeah. them to be as competitive as they are both last season and this season. And uh, I think it's probably a testament to the types of players that Weaver wanted. Uh, and Pressy wanted to surround uh, those guys in OKC. And you're, you're seeing it uh, sort of pan out right now for them earlier than expected. So uh, hopefully that would be a similar situation here for Detroit moving forward. Um, you had some thoughts, though, about uh, Diallo and his impact on Josh Jackson. Do you want to uh, expand, expand on those a little bit further? So I I tweeted something about this, David, um, saying that, you know, Hamadou Diallo reminds me of like a smoother, patient, not not smoother, more patient with more touch version of Josh Jackson. Um, Josh, I think, has struggled a lot because, in part at least, because he's had to do or he's felt like he's had to do so much on this bench unit as the injuries have piled up and they just haven't had a whole lot of talent around him, a whole lot of shooting around him. So I would kind of like to see Josh Jackson in the starting lineup. Um, You know, we've talked a little bit about how that might look, um, how how they might like to keep Josh Jackson in the, the second unit because that's kind of his role moving forward. But I think you also want to see how he can do with some more shooting, some more skill around him. Um, because you would hope that that would be what the bench looks like in a couple years. So I would like to see how Josh Jackson does, especially alongside Jeremy Grant, um, another guy who can who can get to the rim. I think that could be a mutually beneficial relationship. And, and they're, they're like plus four together in 600 minutes. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of variance there in terms of who they were with. But, um, you know, I think there might be something to that combination. So I'd, I think I'd, you know, like to keep Diallo in that in the bench unit. He, he can kind of be a steadying hand there and, and let Josh Jackson kind of do his thing a little more 
with some better players in the starting lineup and see how that plays out. What what are your thoughts on that? I guess I your your set about how they played well together, I think is important here because I think that's not doesn't just benefit Josh Jackson, uh, who's pretty much fallen off a cliff as of recently. Um, but it also helps out Jeremy Grant, who's been inconsistent, I guess, just to be charitable. He's had some really good games, but then I think he shot three for 10 from the floor last night. Uh, so he, he's, you're just seeing the weight of everything sort of starting to get to Jeremy Grant here, just kind of having to carry the scoring load. And, and Josh Jackson is a guy that can pop on any given night. My concern is I was looking at his shooting numbers his last 10 games, he's shooting 18.5% from three, 39% from the floor. His points are down. His rebounds are down. Um, his shooting numbers are obviously down. Um, so I, I guess my only reason to sort of pause on that is is I think back to what I was saying earlier about providing spacing in, in on the floor, providing, um, you know, just trying to declog uh, their current situation. And I'm not sure if... Jeremy Grant and Sadiq Bey as your two lone shooters is enough of that. Not that Diallo would be that guy. I'm not sure that that might mean that Wayne Ellington would be the starter. Um, But I I wouldn't be opposed to see it. I think that this is a perfect sort of season right now where it's like, throw it out there, see what works. And if you're, you're seeing something good, just sort of cultivate that and keep it going. So I'm not opposed to seeing it for a, a, a few games at a time and, and just sort of seeing if it works. Um, I, I don't think I'm stuck to any particular person in the starting lineup when it comes to like the point guard and shooting guard spot right now. Well, how, how about this? If you want more, if you, and, and I think you're right, you, you want more shooting in the, the starting lineup. How about you throw Isaiah Stewart in there or Mason Plumley? I wouldn't be opposed to that either, honestly. I think the first time that I remember seeing it was uh, this past game where uh, Stewart was actually camped out in the corner. He missed the corner three, but I don't remember him ever shooting a corner three, and that might just be my my terrible memory. It's usually been, um, you know, in like pick and pop situations or in like trailing situations. You don't really see him sort of camped out there, but um, he's shown an ability to hit the three. And I wouldn't mind them investing a little bit more into that on the court in some games that matter. So, yeah, that that would be definitely an interesting, a fun lineup to say. I would at least be excited about that going into a game rather than the sort of same rigmarole that we've seen, um, you know, with the the Plumley, uh, just Plumley as sort of that that mainstay at center. Yeah, I, I think you can do some interesting things with you know if Killian or. Regardless of if, if it's Killian or Saban Lee, as your point guard, if you're running a lot of high screen and roll with Isaiah Stewart, who can certainly free them, get downhill, or pop to the the, the middle, um, you know, he, he seems to like that middle three, um, and he's he might be like 100% on that particular shot. Um, and then you have Josh Jackson, Jeremy Grant kind of cutting off of that, Um it could be an it could be a pretty good kind of base offense, I think. Yeah, you're taking the big out of the paint, so that's one thing that they'll eventually start to realize that they're going to have to guard uh, Stewart out there. I think I don't know who it was. It might have been Sean. I don't know if it was Laz, but I saw it today on Twitter. Someone had said something along the lines that this young Isaiah Stewart reminds them of a young Serge Ibaka. You know, he's a he's a presence in the paint. 
He's a big body, sets good screens, and uh, Serge has really been known for his pick and pop game. Did you? I, I kind of saw that a little bit. I, I never had had that thought before, but that wasn't a terrible comp. No, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was from Laz. I like, I like it. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, that's definitely. There's a lot of similarities there. Um, Serge was quite the defender in his day. I mean, he's still a, a decent defender at least. And um, yeah, I mean, he, I, I could, I could see that happening. Um, you know, Serge when he was coming up was more a spacer at the elbow when he was with like the Thunder. Um, but he's obviously developed that three-point game. And Isaiah Stewart just being, just by virtue of being born um, years later as a, uh, as kind of the, the practice of um, being more of a three-point shooter. Um, so that's that's a good one. I think the other one I saw, I think it was from Brady maybe, was um, Paul Millsap, which I thought was kind of interesting too. You know, Isaiah Stewart's more of a five than Paul Millsap ever was. But Paul Millsap really, I remember him just kind of coming out of nowhere in Utah with a, with a three-point shot. I think it was when he was in U- Utah. And... Um, you know, he could kind of serve a similar offensive role to a young Millsap. I don't think he's ever going to be what Millsap was in his prime in terms of a, a bulk scorer, but um, he could he could kind of play the, a, a role like that, especially if you're looking to, you know, if you, if you end up drafting um, Evan Mobley, maybe uh, maybe that's more of Stewart's role um, in the future when, when the two of them are on the floor together. There's just so many like chess pieces with this team. Not that they're all complete projects right now, but you and I have had conversations about, well, we this guy could go here, this guy could come off the bench here, this guy could play here. And, you know, I think that's the challenge with, with this young group is just sort of figuring out what is their right role. Um, but let's move on. So yeah, It's a great problem to have, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and they're all young. They all fit the time, uh, timeline, like I was mentioning. And, um, you know, they're, they're not... Uh, soaking up uh, a lot of the cap so there's just a, a lot of uh, I guess pasture in front of them so but yeah so moving on I, I did want to talk a little bit about Blake Griffin's return he played his first game back at Little Caesars Arena this past weekend um, and uh, he looked pretty good uh, but I did just want to get your quick thoughts on his return more so from the on-court antics that we saw from Blake Griffin. It seemed like there was not a lot of love lost or that he had some some sort of ill will towards Detroit because he was getting into it with Isaiah Stewart, which is can be expected, but also Sadiq Bey, which was pretty surprising. What were your thoughts having watched Blake Griffin return to Detroit and just kind of how he was on the court? Yeah, my, my main takeaway was... I had forgot how annoying it is to play against Blake Griffin, um, or to watch your team play against Blake Griffin. Just the all the all the stuff he does. Um, he's he he flops a lot, um, whether it's when he's taking charges or just you know he. The, Isaiah Stewart. I mean, it, that was probably a flagrant two. It was at least a flagrant one in my mind. But Blake so oversold it for sure, and he kind of started it. Um, I, I didn't take too much offense to most of it just because it, it was just in the heat of competition, you know, that that's just something that happens. Um, 
I'm not super offended that he, he looks good. I, I think I've said on here maybe once or twice that I thought that maybe Blake was saving him, himself um, and that there were kind of signs that there was still a little athleticism there. Um, you know, as the season went along, I was less confident in that, but I, I think now we're seeing that maybe that was the case. I don't really hold that against Blake. Um, you know, it's a business decision. He put his time in here. He did what he did a couple of years ago. Um, so I, I, I hold no ill will. The only thing that kind of bothered me was I think it was after, I think it, I think it was after he made it three, maybe he kind of like was John at the coaches, which I kind of took a little more offense to that because I didn't, I don't know. I don't know. I, that, that just, I don't, I don't know why he would do that. Um, I don't think Dwayne Casey and the coaching staff did anything that was inappropriate to, to Blake this year or, or in the past. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I don't think I saw the the jawing to the coaches. I do remember him, I believe, jawing to the bench. Maybe that was directed towards the coaches. Uh, it was what I expected, kind of. I, I, as I said, I was surprised with the uh, the Sadiq Bay sort of tangle up, I guess you could say, or them bumping into each other and having words. Uh, but uh, you know, Blake is very much saying that he is uh, definitely not a piston any longer, uh, and I'm not too surprised to see him playing a bit better, just because James Harden's going to open up a lot more opportunities for you than. Uh, what the Pistons have deployed so far this season. So, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised at all. It was uh, just reminded me, I guess, just of some of the, the vintage Blake antics that I saw in Detroit and that I celebrated while he was here. And now you kind of have to deal with them on the other end, and that's completely understandable. Um, but, yeah, so speaking of ex-Pistons, I did just want to get a quick thought from you on which player – do you think is going to be more impactful to their team moving forward? Um, the ex center two-time all-star Andre Drummond, who recently signed with the Los Angeles Lakers or Blake Griffin, who he had just watched. I think he had 22 points against the Pistons in his best game so far for Brooklyn. Who do you think is going to be better for their team or, or more impactful as this season continues? It's a very good question. Um, I am going to, so the guy who has the most potential to be the most impactful is Andre Drummond. Um, he, playing off Anthony Davis and LeBron James as a rim runner, could be an absolute menace. Um, the problem is we, well, we we know what the problem is with with Andre Drummond. Like he's got to commit to that role, and some of it was coaching during his time in Detroit, but I think more of it was just that he he liked his post touches. He liked doing things with the ball that he wasn't very good at. He he just, I don't know, He there's just decision-making. There's always been decision-making issues with Andre Drummond, and I'm skeptical that he's going to embrace that limited role that he would be so good in. Um, especially with the fact that Davis and James are out for a while and he's probably going to have to play a bigger role. And I don't think he's going to be very happy um, going back to a super small role or, or, or going to a super small role. Um, Griffin, I think, 
can be quite good in his role. The, the issue there is going to be just the log jam now. Um, the Nets just signed LaMarcus Aldridge, so he's going to get minutes, you would you would expect. Nicholas Claxton's playing great. And, and you have DeAndre Jordan, too. So um, Andre Jordan's got more potential to make more impact because he's just going to have a chance to get more minutes, I think, especially with Marcus Gasol not looking very good. But uh, I kind of think that Blake Griffin's actually going to make a bigger impact. Really? I, I, I really do think Andre Drummond is going to buy into his role. I think we've seen that sort of LeBron James effect take hold of Dwight Howard. Uh, we've seen it out of Rajon Rondo, both guys that were not too highly considered as locker room presences following sort of their primes uh, with Orlando and then Boston. So I, I don't know. I, I just have this blind faith in Andre Drummond that he's going to sort of step up and, um, you know, take on that limited role. I think he has to know that he's not as good as Anthony Davis, even though these guys don't necessarily think that they're worse than any other player. Um, but it's he, he knows it's not his team. He's getting there after the trade deadline. He's there for a particular reason, which is to be there to be uh, another body and then also to hopefully ride this wave to a championship. I think he has that type of understanding right now. And I think he has a real, real good chance to shock a lot of people, honestly, to kind of quiet the amount of detractors that he has out there in NBA Twitter sphere and uh, the sort of general public. Uh, So I don't know. I I think that Andre Drummond is going to have some really big moments for this team, Um, not just from like an availability standpoint, but just from how he can fit with this roster. And uh, I see it going really, really well for Andre. Um, And they need him right now. And you are right. He'll probably will have to take, he'll probably have a larger role initially. And then that'll have to get, um, you know, sort of fine tuned as the season continues once LeBron and AD get back. But I just like him on that roster. I like him in pick and rolls with, LeBron James. I like him in pick and rolls with Dennis Schroeder. And I know a lot of people have talked about if Andre would just be cool with being that pick and roll big. But uh, I think that he's going to to understand that finally and uh, going to produce quite a bit for this team. And, and they just don't seem as, I don't know why, but their depth kind of gives me concerns just because so many of the guys that they do rely on are a bit older, and not that Andre Drummond is uh, a spring chicken, but at the same time, um, I, I just see him having more of an opportunity to put his imprint on the game than, say, Blake Griffin, especially when you know the ball is going to be in Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant's hands 90% of the time. So I, I'm really, really, I guess, bullish on Andre Drummond in a Lakers uniform, and I guess we'll certainly be able to revisit this, but that's my two cents on the whole situation. I, I hope you're right. Um, there's nothing more I'd like to see than Andre Drummond fully unleashed in his optimal role. Um, and if we hadn't seen things kind of go sideways in Cleveland, if it had only happened in Detroit, I might be more optimistic to, about it. Um, you know, and I guess the, just the other thing on you know Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo is – you know, those, like Rajon Rondo, we've seen playoff Rondo, like that's a real thing to me. Um, Dwight Howard, 
we we've seen dominant Dwight Howard. Um, it's been a long time, but like the, those those things were there. We haven't seen you know like elite rim runner Andre Drummond really since like his first two years in the in the NBA. Um, it's not totally his fault because Stan Van Gundy tried to turn term, turn him into Dwight Howard, prime Dwight Howard, which didn't work well at all. Um, but I, I I hope I hope I'm wrong. Um, I just it's it's getting harder and harder for me to see Drummond really accept what what I think is his optimal role. That's fair. I, I just kind of see it more so. It's like he understands that he's a rental. He's like a. a a hired assassin to just see out the rest of uh, this season and then probably part ways and, you know, for his sake, probably get that next pretty solid contract. But, um, all right, so the last thing that I just want to bring up real quick, because I think it's it's worth monitoring. This isn't going to be a very long segment, but I did want to get your thoughts here on – the Pistons sort of, I guess this sort of tank monitoring that we've been doing throughout the year. Right now, the Pistons are dead last in the East, but they only have a two-game lead on the Orlando Magic. Um, I guess lead is in quotations there. Um, The Magic just traded away their core of Vucevic, Gordon, and Fournier. Um, The Houston Rockets are actually tied with Detroit right now by record. Uh, but they only have won two games over their previous 23. So I guess from a Pistons perspective, do you think that there's uh, an eventuality that Detroit is going to shut down Jeremy Grant? Um, maybe not immediately, but but as we kind of get more towards the end of the season, just because they want to sort of preserve their spot as one of the bottom t- three teams in the East, or are they just going to roll the balls out and kind of see what happens? Uh, you know, if, I mean, if he has kind of a nagging injury, I could see that. I, I think they're more likely to just reduce his minutes a bit, um, maybe not play him on a back-to-back, just give him a rest from, from time to time. Um, I would be surprised to, to see them just shut him down. But I do think that one of the things they're probably going to want to see in the home stretch is more Seku. And I know we've been saying that, like, all year, but... I would expect we're going to see more Seku down the stretch. You know, he's Tyler Cook's getting his minutes right now because Tyler Cook's on a ten-day contract. So I don't, I'm not offended by that. Like like some people are. Like, you know, if if you're going to have a guy like that, and you're not going to win games, or you don't really even want to win games, then you might as well just play him and see what you've got. So I I, I think that might be an avenue to get. Seku some more minutes is to rest Jeremy Grant, but I wouldn't expect them to just kind of blatantly tank um, unless there's you know a legitimate injury. Um, but you know we'll we'll see we'll see how how tight the uh, the tank the tankathon gets. Um, I actually think the Magic might be. I mean they're 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 rough right now, but I, I think they have a little more talent on there than people give them credit for, and they've actually played. Uh, Played a couple close games in the their last two, um, so that's you know we'll, we'll see. They're not going to win a lot of games, but I think they're they might be a little more competitive than people think. Yeah, I guess just Detroit probably didn't expect themselves to be as closely accompanied by some of these teams as they found themselves. You know, just a few weeks ago we had 
Jake Chapman on talking about uh, Magic playoff run, and now they are uh, pretty set as one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, so definitely something we're going to have to monitor as the season continues. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a week and a half left and it was close in the race and Detroit was just like, hey, you know, he has been dealing with this nagging injury that uh, may or may not be inflated a little bit in, in efforts of staying as one of the bottom three teams in the in the NBA. And certainly I know that the fans would be calling for something along those lines. But hey, maybe Killian Hayes alone helps you lose some games just because you tried to get him back into the lineups. There's also all these questions that you and I have sort of dug through uh, today, just talking about where guys are supposed to be playing and when. And I think just sort of that experimental phase of figuring out lineups and what the basketball product is going to look like uh, can have some rough patches as you're sort of learning on the fly. So I guess we'll see. Um, any final thoughts, Matt? Um, my only uh, my only final thought is, um, you know, next week uh, I think we're going to give the people what they want, which is draft talk. Um, we're going to have a special guest on next week, and I think uh, I think people are going to really enjoy uh, next week's pod. Yes, certainly. I'm looking forward to it. I- I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about some of these top dogs that, that uh, we have our eyes on. Uh, following this season because God knows they are the hope for this franchise moving forward. Um, But yeah, I guess that'll do it for us. Uh, For Matt, I am David. Uh, All new episodes on DetroitBadBoys.com, on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast stream, and on Twitter at InsideTheCYLNDR. Catch you all next week. Peace. Peace.